book of Jonah. And I've said this already, that uh, Jonah probably is the most familiar of all the 12 minor prophet books at the end of our Old Testament. And probably there's no book that's used as a reason for skeptics to say, I don't believe the Bible, because they don't believe that uh, a whale could swallow a man. They don't believe that a whale who has swallowed a man would ever come out of the whale again alive. And so we see all those things in there and say, preacher, what do you do with skeptics like that? We just believe the Bible. And whether it's a skeptic or whether it's a scholar, uh, we just simply believe what the Bible says. Uh, Jonah is really the story of a believer who's disobedient to God. He's, and because of that disobedience, he has a difficult road ahead. It's really the look into the heart of a servant of God who ministers to people but doesn't love the people he ministers to. We know that God used him in a great way to help all of those people in Nineveh. And that disappointed him. And that's a strange thing that here a preacher or a servant of God would be upset with God blessing the very people he's trying to reach. And so we know that the book starts out with God calling Jonah. Look there in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh. So this is what God's telling Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. So God's trying to send them some help. And it is a gracious God that does things like that. But instead of Jonah heading northeast to Nineveh, look there in verse number 3. The Bible says, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Instead of saying, Yes, God, he said no, and he ran the other direction. And we've seen the last number of weeks, and particularly last week, we saw because this preacher, this prophet ran the other way, that God started preparing some things just for Jonah. In fact, look there in Jonah 1.17. The Bible says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And so, you know what? If you or I or all of us, if you're walking God's way, God will help you to do all that he has asked you to do. If you're going the other way, God has all kinds of tools in his toolbox to turn us around. Look there in verse 15. I'd like to begin tonight by reading verse 15, 16, 17. Then we'll have a word of prayer and then we'll see what we've got tonight. Verse 15. So they, that's the man on the ship, Jonah was hiding in that ship. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea and the sea ceased from her raging then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we're so grateful that you have designed the week where we could stop all that we're doing and gather with other believers. And we are so grateful for all that have come. I know that some, maybe providence prevented them from coming, challenged their hearts where they're at. But Lord, I pray, bless these that have come. Help us tonight. Help us as we continue in this very familiar story of Jonah. Would you please teach us? Pray that you'd remove doubts that maybe the world has planted in our mind about this book. And help us, Lord, to look for ourselves, possibly, in this story. There's not just one man in all of time that has said no to God. I'm sure there's many. 
And Lord, I pray, it's my desire as a pastor that each one here, whatever it is that God is asking, that they say yes. Help us tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember, if you were with us last week, I uh, gave an incident of, sure enough, it's in the British journals, and it's the incident of a man that was indeed swallowed by a whale, and they found that man. I'm trying to find his name. I don't have it here. Uh, but uh, they found him, and of all things, he was alive. And, and so it's, it's not that it's impossible. It's very much possible, and whether this world has ever found another example of it, if the Bible says it's so, it's so. I just want to give you a few little thoughts here. Uh, verse number 17, now the Lord had prepared a great fish. Now you say, well, preacher, it doesn't say whale. We already looked at this last week when our Lord made comment on that. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40. Jesus said, for as Moses was, uh, sorry, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, Jesus identified as a whale. So although the word whale isn't found here in Jonah, it certainly is identified as a whale by Jesus Christ. And again, the, the criticism, Pastor, I don't think that a whale could swallow a human. Do you know, over these last weeks and months as I was preparing for this, I found a number of great stories, and they're not, they're not fishing stories. They're true stories. Uh, do you know all of the whales? I'll give you a couple of technical things so you'll feel smarter going home. But uh, all of the whales fall under a category called cetacea. So all the whales, well, no matter what kind they are, they're cetacea. The cetacea is divided into two groups. One of the groups is called dentacet, or sometimes it's called odontoceti. You say, well, Pastor, that sounds like a dentist. Believe it or not, that's not a coincidence. This first category of whales, they all have teeth. And normally, it's a row of teeth on the bottom jaw. And as they close their mouth, those teeth go into holes or into sockets in the top part of the jaw. But a great portion of all the whales that have been recorded are called dentacets. And uh, there's a number of names. You've probably heard of the sperm whale. You've probably heard of other whales by that. But that's only one category. Because that's the most familiar category, because that's the category of whales that whale hunters are after, some people have come to the conclusion that that is the only kind of whale that could have swallowed Jonah. Now, follow my thinking. Some whales have teeth, and what they do is when they get their, um, their prey into their mouth, they chew that prey up to little bits before it pushes it back into the back part of that whale. We know that that couldn't have been the kind of whale that swallowed Jonah because he would have been diced and sliced. He never would have made it to the back part of the whale. But you say, Pastor, aren't all whales like that? No, the greater majority of whales are like that, but not all. There's a second category of whales in my reading, and that second category of whales is called the mysticet. And the mysticet does not have rows of teeth. They, they really have 
they really have flesh matter, and if you looked real closely, it, it would almost look like it was seaweed hanging from their, from their jaw. But what that second kind of whale does, instead of getting its prey, chewing up its prey before it can push it further back, the second category of whales, what it does is it comes closer to the surface, it opens up its big mouth, and it just, in top speed, goes through that water, and it gathers into its mouth all the fish that it can gather, but it doesn't have teeth. So what it does is it then, I imagine, forgive me if I'm wrong, but it closes its mouth, it's, and then it kind of curls its lips. Can you imagine how I was thinking all week? And with all the pressure from the inside of that whale pushing on that tongue, all the water is pressed out of that second kind of whale until all that's left in its mouth are all the fish that it's gathered and whatever else it's gathered. And then it simply swallows that down. And they have examined the inside of that second kind of whale, and there are compartments back there that are big enough for groups of people to stay in for a period of time. Now, the only reason I say that, you won't be quizzed next week, you'll be fine. The only reason I say that is because most people have been convinced that all whales have teeth and chew their prey before they press it back, immediately they've been programmed to be skeptical that this that we read in Jonah could not be true. They don't know all the facts. So it might be that you're accosted by somebody at some future date, and you can tell them that they don't know all the facts. Pastor, how could, uh, how could they possibly have... You know, someone the size of a man back there, they have cut open some of these whales, and they have literally find, found horses that are in this. Pastor, are you talking seahorse? No, real horses. Uh, they found some of these whales in the midst of storms have been washed on the deck of some ships, literally swallowed things the size of horses and even horses I'm saying to you folks, and this is no statement of reverence, irreverence. There used to be a program called Back to the Bible. Anyone remember hearing that? Folks, we don't need to go back to the Bible. We need to catch up with the Bible. The claim of science is that the Bible is unscientific. Their claim is incorrect. Folks, there's things in the Bible that science hasn't figured out yet. So don't let science and scientists buffalo you into thinking that if you believe the Bible, then you are so behind the times. That is not true at all. Uh, we rejoice there. Notice when they threw Jonah overboard in verse number 15, that immediately that raging sea and the wind ceased. But then would you notice in verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. That was one of the byproducts of God having to deal with Jonah. And offered a sacrifice unto the Lord. Again, that was a byproduct of God having to deal with Jonah. At the very end of verse 16, and made vows. Those are great things that happened to some unbelieving people. And the truth is, we're going to find exactly those things in chapter 2, 9, verse 9, 
Jonah doing those things too. Exact three words. In fact, look at chapter 2, verse 9. Jonah says, but I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. Well, we saw sacrifices in chapter 116. Keep reading, and I will pay that that I have vowed. We saw vows in chapter 1, verse 16. And they talked about salvation is of the Lord. We find the Lord. And all I'm saying is this. God had an easier time getting unbelievers to become believers than he had to getting a believer to act like a believer. And that's kind of strange. But my text tonight is chapter 1, verse 17. Chapter 1, verse 17, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I'd like, I'd like to preach for just a few minutes on this thought. I know some of you take notes. And this is observations about Jonah's three days and three nights. So there's some observations that we can make about Jonah's three days and three nights. Pastor, what's the application? If you are walking with God, if you are in the will of God, if you are listening to God and obeying what God tells you, good on you. <laughs> but if you're not, then you are in a period of your, time, of your life just like Jonah was for three days and three nights. And there are things that happen in a believer's life when he's not listening to God, when he's not walking with God. So again, we'll make some observations about Jonah's three days and three nights. Begin there with Jonah chapter number one. Jonah chapter number one, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, look, verse two, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. So we might say that that was the first call that was given to Jonah. Now, I'm sure he was called to be a prophet, all the rest of that, but in this story, that is the first command that God has given Jonah. Keep that in mind. Now look at Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. That matches chapter 1, verse 2. Keep reading. That great city and preach unto it. That matches chapter 1, verse 2. That I bid thee. Do you know chapter 1 and verse 2? And chapter 3 and verse 2. Do you understand that those two references are separated by three days and three nights? If Jonah had obeyed God in chapter 1 and verse 2, what we read in the rest of chapter 1 and in all of chapter 2 would never have taken place. In fact, we would have gone from chapter 1 and verse 2 directly into chapter 3 and verse 3. Again, if you're taking notes, we're looking at observations about Jonah's three days and three nights. The first observation is they were wasted days. They were wasted days. Everything that we read in the rest of chapter 1, everything we read in all of chapter 2, all of that was wasted days that God could have accomplished so much more do you know in the Bible, the Christian life is compared to a number of things. It's compared to a building that's being constructed. It is compared to a tree that is bearing fruit. It is compared to a running race. 
it is compared to a walk. And every one of those comparisons is a picture of progress being made. You know, in the construction of the building, first of all, the land is cleared. And secondly, they come in and they begin to lay some forms and concrete is put there for a foundation. And then they begin to pour that slab and start putting framework. And it should be that as the weeks progress in a building, there is progress that's made. Do you know when a tree is first planted, whether it's just a little treeling or a seed, we know it starts so small and likely it doesn't bear any fruit that first year. But as that tree grows, there is progress, there is growth, there is advancement. How about a running race? We know that there is no doubt people at that starting block waiting for that gun to be sounded. And there's a host of them that start that race. But you know, as you get further and further down that race, they're no longer where they started. They've made some progress. Same thing that's true for a walk. I'm saying to you that God's intention for my life and your life is to make progress. Now, if you've been saved for five years, you should be five years further along in your Christian life. Five years further along in your knowledge of Christ. Five years further along in your surrender to Christ. Five years further along in your service for Christ. Do you know that there was no progress made in those three days and three nights? We would say it's wasted. And uh, how many times have you and I met Christians that were doing so well until God asked them to do something. And they said, no, Lord, just like Jonah. And at that point, the progress stopped. Sometimes folks in a church get offended. Why is that person asked to do the ministry and that person asked to do the ministry? And here I've been saved so much longer and I'm not asked. I'm suggesting maybe those others have continued to say yes to God. Maybe you've said somewhere no. At the moment that you said no, all progress stopped. Many of us have had a detour. I remember one time driving in Michigan. We were about 40 minutes away from a church service. My mom and I were driving to hurrying to get there. And we came to a standstill in the traffic and I'm looking at my watch. <laughs> I'm anxious to get there. And uh, the policeman was directing people off that exit ramp. And uh, we were headed down this, took this turn, that, this turn, that. Do you know that detour took us an hour and a half? And by the time we got back on the highway, we literally could see at a distance where we got off the highway. An hour and a half. We had really made no progress. If you or someone you know is in there three days and three nights, they're making no progress spiritually in their life. And we ought to. I give you a second observation. Not only they were wasted days, uh, but uh, secondly, we find uh, that, uh, look there in chapter 2 and verse 6. Chapter number 2 and verse 6, um, I'm just trying to make sure I haven't missed my note. Uh, let me, let me tell, before I get to that, chapter 2, verse 6, you know, no more clearly is wasted time seen 
then in the life of a sinner who hears the gospel and just resists getting saved. And they might have heard the gospel and, and understood it when they were 10 or 12. And if they haven't got saved for another 10 years, that's 10 years of wasted life. I read about this one night, a Canon Hay Aiken was preaching to a large audience in Bristol, England. His text was, you must be born again. In that congregation was a brilliant young man. His name is Horatio Bottomley. And he listed in, uh, listened intently. He heard the preacher at the end of the sermon call, all who were there who would trust Christ as their Savior to come forward. He was deeply moved, but he said, not now. I'm going to run my own life right now, not now. Well, that man went on to make a fortune and a name for himself as a champion of people's rights. He was a lawyer and exposed swindlers and prosecuted criminals with great vigor. And when that man, bottomly, was 63 years of age, this one who had exposed the crimes of others was himself convicted of a crime. And he was sentenced to seven years in prison. While he was in prison, a man, a Christian man, came to visit him and asked if it would be okay that he prayed with him. And he said that would be fine. And then in the course of the conversation, the Christian said, let me tell you about my life and how it was changed. He said, many, many years ago, he said, I went to a gospel meeting. That gospel meeting was in Bristol, England. And he said, I heard a preacher, Canon Hay Aiken, preach on the text, he must be born again. The, the Christian that was witnessing to this man had been in the exact same meeting. They had been in the same meeting and had heard the same message by the same preacher. And this Christian continued. And he said, you know, he said, uh, I was so deeply moved by that that I... That day trusted Christ as my Savior, and ever since then, Christ has been my all, all in all. And you know that prisoner at that time, bottomly, he was silent for a time. And then he said, I too heard that same searching message. I too was moved deeply, and I knew my need of Christ, but I rejected him. And you know what the man said of himself, who had rejected Christ, he made this statement, a life without God is a wasted life, if you're not saved. And we never know who's listening to this. If you are not saved, it doesn't matter what you gain. It doesn't matter what you've got. It doesn't matter what you are able to give someone else. From eternity's perspective, it's wasted. I say to you tonight, Jonah's three days and three nights, they were wasted days. Secondly, Jonah chapter 2 and verse 6. Jonah's in this whale. And he says in verse 6, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. Now, I'm going to divide the crowd right here, and so just, just forgive me. Do you know there are two particular takes on what happened to Jonah? We're not going to take a vote, and you can relax. There are some people that say that Jonah in that whale was taken down, 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 and in the period of time that he was in that whale, 
they would say that uh, God got a hold of his attention. God got a hold of his heart, and he began to pray. And they'd say that's what chapter 2 is. And because he repented before God for what he had foolishly done, God brought him back up and had that whale spit him. One take is that God used the whale seminary to get his attention. The other take is that Jonah literally died in that whale. You know, the very, very first time I heard that, I was a 17-year-old boy driving my little Dodge Colt across St. Catharines, Ontario, working at Loblaws. I had the radio on, and I listened to J. Vernon McGee. And when he said that, I looked at that radio and said, that's craziness. But he gave the reason for it. He said, when you get to Matthew chapter 12, those Pharisees asked for some evidence that Christ would die, be buried, and rise again. And he said, the only sign that I'll give you is the prophet Jonah. Now, that's all I'm going to say. There, there, there's two opinions, and, and it's not worth dividing the crowd over the opinion. Some of you don't have an opinion. Some of you have such a strong one that you would separate from the fellowship just because someone else doesn't have yours. But you know, whether he was still alive during that three-day trip in the whale, or whether he literally died in the whale and God resurrected from it, regardless of which one, do you know he had a tough three days? It was not only wasted days, but could I say they were wounding days? Another W. They were wounding days. All of the records that you read of people who have been in Wales, whether it's hours, whether it's days, they said when they finally came out, they looked like they had been ridden over by a Mack truck. Their skin was bleached. Their hair was gone. They looked like death warmed over. They were wounding days. We know that because of Jonah's disobedience to God, that those shipmen on the ship went through difficulties that they never should have had to go through. I'm saying to you, if you or someone you know is in those three days of saying no to God, not only are they getting hurt, but there are other people that are getting hurt in the process. Achan was the one that sold, uh, stole the Babylonian garments and the gold. Achan's entire family was stoned to death because of his sin. How many other times do we find in the scriptures where somebody made a bad choice and because of their bad choice, not only they suffered, but others suffered also and I'm saying to you, whether you believe that Jonah died in that whale or whether he didn't die in that whale, look at chapter 2 and verse 6. Jonah says, in that whale, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains, and the earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption. That word corruption, something's decaying, something's falling apart, something's decomposing. And he said, in that time, there was corruption that took place. And you say, well, preacher, you can always get right. That's true. You could always get right. 
but you can't always repair the damage that's done. I remember when I went to Bible school. I went there in North Carolina, 1980 through 83. That church had three deacons, almost had 800 people. Normally in a big day, we'd have 1,000. One of those uh, deacons, his name was Mr. Hugh Tilley, older man. He must have been 65, 70 at the time. And uh, I, I one time sat down with him. I said, Mr. Tilley, I said, you've been around this church forever. You remember Brother Lackey, that's the pastor. You remember Brother Lackey in his prime. And, and I said, it must be great to be in a church like this. And he said, it has been. And I said, wow. I said, tell me some of the stuff you've seen. Oh, he said, you know, we had great revivals, and he talked about all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, right in the middle of him relating all that stuff, he dropped his head, and his, his eyes fell to the ground, and his eyes welled up with tears. And I said, really, Tilly, did, did I say something? He said, no. He said, I wish I could say that from the day I first came to this church that I've been here. But he said, you know, there was a time where I got mad at the church and mad at the preacher. And he said, I left. And I took my wife and took my children out. He said, I justified why I was doing what I was doing. I said, yeah, but you're, you're back now. In fact, you're, you're grandkids. You've got all your grandkids in church. And he said, yes. He said, God salvaged my wife and I. God salvaged those grandchildren. But he said, my son, who's their father, my son and his wife have never come back to church. And folks, you could repeat that same statement with people you know. Do you know three days and three nights is not only wasted days, but it is also wounding days. There's people that get hurt that never recover. I gave you a third thing real quick. Look at Jonah 1 verse 17. Jonah 1 and verse 17. The Bible says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Could I give you a third W? Jonah's three days and three nights were worrying days. Uh, he wasn't having a picnic in there. And he didn't know that three days and three days, three days and three nights later, he was getting out. Imagine what he thought when he was in there. <laughs> Am I ever getting out of here? Does anyone even know I'm in here? What's going to happen? How's this going to turn out? I would say they were worrying days. Now, you know, as a Christian, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. When you and I are doing what God wants us to do, there's no reason to worry, because God's in control. But when you or I decide, God, I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do, then you're on your own. I've said it before, you've heard me say it before, but when God's finger directs, God's hand supplies. So if you or I are following the direction of God, God will supply everything that we need to accomplish what he's directing us to do. When Jonah, on the other hand, was told to go to Nineveh, and instead he ran down in his way to Tarshish, the Bible says that he paid the fare thereof. If you're doing God's will, he pays it. If you're doing your will, 
you pay it. If you're doing God's will, he blesses. If you're doing your will, <laughs> you go bankrupt. Pastor, why isn't this working? Maybe it's not God's will. So I say, third, he was worrying. Those days were worrying days. Uh, you say, well, I just don't know how this is going to turn out. Aren't you glad that you can trust God as he does? I give you the last thing. Look there in Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3 again. We've already seen it once, but finally, Jonah chapter 3 and verse 3, and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. And Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Do you know, we're clearly told in chapter 1 that God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah wouldn't do it. So God has to put Jonah through this whole whale course until finally God repeats his instruction in chapter 3. Finally, Jonah does it. Could I give you the last W? Those three days and three nights, they were forever after Y days. W-H-Y. I'm sure all of us, if we look back in our own life, we look back at a bad choice, a bad company, a bad phone call, a bad transaction, a bad book looked at, a bad magazine opened up, a, a bad internet site. The time was spent. You say, Pastor, I've asked God to forgive me. Good. But some of those things you can never erase from your mind. And some of those things, months and years later, God, why did I do that? Carlson, why did you say that? <laughs> why did you go that way? And I'm seeing the fourth thing, uh, fourth thing that we find about Jonah is they were forever after why days. There's a lot of times in the Bible we read of God's people doing something Later, I think they looked back on it and said, that was so foolish, why? I can look back in my life and see some great things that I did. But that wouldn't be accurate of my entire life. So if you're right now on the threshold of doing something, why don't you stop? Why don't you stop long enough? And consider the fact that in five years from now, you're going to look back, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, Will you say to yourself, why? In the last week, I've been able to talk to two friends. One of them is John Elwood. I'll give you more details next week. You know that John was in an accident back in February. Not anything of his fault whatsoever. He, he called me. He called Monday. We talked for about an hour. In the process of him walking down a hill, it was a snowy, snow-covered hill, there was a woman that was coming down that hill, and John was listening to music, so I'm assuming, he didn't use the words, but I'm assuming he had earbuds or something, and so he couldn't hear anything else. What he didn't know was a woman also driving down that particular road lost control on the snow. And she lost control of that vehicle and began to slide the exact direction that John was walking. He didn't even know because he couldn't hear. 
And John said to me, he said, Pastor, out of the corner of my eye, I saw something. And I saw it coming close, and so he said, immediately I jumped. He said, right beside me was a railway. And he said, uh, a railing of the road. And he said, when I jumped it, this car pinned my leg against the railing instantly. And he said, I fell over that railing. And I slid 25 feet down. He said, when I got down there, he said, I could tell my, uh, my boot was full of blood. He said, I knew that they'd never get me back up, so he said, I decided that I would crawl back up this hill. And he said to me, he started chuckling. He had a sense of humor even in telling me. He said, I, I decided I'd use my loudest singing voice. And he said, I started to scream as loud as I could. And he said, lo and behold, he said, there was uh, one of the staff members that heard me. He said, also my son Joseph heard me. And so he said, both of them scrambled to where I was at. And he said, in short order, the ambulance came to get me. They drove me two hours to the hospital. And he said, Pastor, if I fast forward from that time till now, I've had six surgeries. The next surgery he was going to have, I think was yesterday or today. I said, John, how are you taking all that? He said, Pastor, I know that God makes no mistakes. I also know I dare not get mad at God. I have to trust God. And I said, John, are you going to make it? He said, God, I'm just going to trust God. That's one of my friends. As much as he doesn't understand what's happening, he's not running from God. I talked to another friend. This was on Saturday afternoon. Some of you would recognize his name, Drew Stewart. Many, many years ago, our church sent Drew Stewart and his family out to Ireland. He was in Ireland for a number of years, and he did a great work. In our, not a good work, a great work. He built an independent, Bible-believing King James Church up to 70 people in Ireland. But one day he got discouraged. One day he got so discouraged that uh, he decided he'd quit. We were his sending church. I was his pastor. He didn't tell me he was going to quit, but every time I prayed for him, there was an uneasiness in my soul. I called him up and I said, Drew, something's wrong. What's wrong? And he said, I'm quitting. I said, Drew, what's going on? He said, I don't want to talk about it. I said, Drew. I said, I would normally call your pastor. I am your pastor. What is going on? He said, I quit. It, to make a longer story short, he never did come back to his home church. Never did come back to Canada. Got settled in New York for a short time. He actually pastored an independent Baptist church until finally he gave that up. Now he's in North Carolina. He's not in church. He's not in any church. And I said, talk to him Saturday. I said, Drew, I'm not your mother and I'm not your pastor anymore. I'm your friend. When you look back on all those decisions that you made, what conclusion have you come to? He said, you know what? Everything I put my hands to in Ireland turned to gold because I was where God wanted me to be. He said, when I left Ireland, 
everything I put my hands to turned to dung. He said, I've looked at my wife and said, we made a terrible mistake. I said, well, Pastor, isn't God forgiving? He sure is. He began to tell me about some of his children, what they were doing. Every decision I make has long-term results. Every decision you make has long-term results. And sometimes in three days and three nights, we decide something that forever after we're haunted with why. If you're in a three-day and three-night right now, well, there's nothing more important than getting on your face before God and say, God, help me. Let's pray. Lord, we've been looking at Jonah. And Jonah in three days and three nights. It's, it's 72 hours. That, that, that's the time from the end of this past Sunday night service to now. That's just a few days. But in a few days, all the things that happened to that man are to pray to help us. It's a sobering thought. Would you help us to consider every decision that we make, every friend that we make, every establishment that we walk into, every book that we open, every magazine that we browse through, every site that we click on, every TV program that's watched, that can be the turning point of our Christian life. Help us, Lord. Spare us from making the choices that Jonah made. We ask it in Jesus' name.